Hello and welcome to Permanently Resident, a podcast about the ups and downs of living abroad. My name is Robin, I'm from Brighton, England, and I'm living in San Leandro, California. Hey, it's Jose uh, from Tokyo, Japan, and uh, I'm originally You're from from Tokyo, Japan? (laughs) Became Japanese, and uh, I'm originally from Simi Valley, California. All right, welcome. This is episode 29. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, best and worst jobs. Um, so let's share our let's share our worst jobs that we've had uh, so far. So Jose, what uh, do you want to start? What's uh, what's been your worst job? Well, a lot of my jobs have been around uh, teaching, uh, specifically teaching English uh, in foreign countries, right? Yeah. So. I think what sticks out to me, two of the worst jobs were probably one was teaching English in Korea, uh, teaching English to, I guess, after school to kids, uh, probably elementary school age kids after school, because uh, they're trying to learn English. Uh, up. That was pretty repetitive and and boring. And then the other one is teaching in uh, public elementary school in Japan was probably also my other worst job. I heard I heard teaching in those uh, private institutes in Korea can be kind of tough. What are they called? Hogwan? Is that what they're called? Yeah, it's called the Hogwan. I guess the upside is uh, you don't... The, it starts around 2 or 3 p.m. Yeah. So if you're okay with, like, waking up late and uh, getting lunch casually and then going to work, I, that's cool. But then you're there from 3 to, you know, maybe 9 p.m. So you can't really do much during the afternoon or early evening. So you can't make, like, dinner plans or something, right? What are you saying? That uh, destroyed your dating life? You could always meet people, like, at night at night or 10 at night, which I tended to, you know, become a, a night owl. So everyone surrounded, that surrounded me was on the same schedule, so it was fine. Yeah. But, uh... It's definitely, you know, it, it tends to go into drinking at night, uh, meeting friends at night, going home at 2 p.m., sleeping, waking up like at 10 a.m., starting your day. You start to really fall into that kind of schedule, I think, with that kind of job. Yeah, I hear you. I've taught, I mean, I've taught some kids before, and that's been pretty tough, but I thought, you know, the kids in South Korea, the kids in Japan, they're normally pretty well-behaved, aren't they? Isn't that, doesn't that take a big part of the stress away? Um, yeah, they're, they're pretty well-behaved, so it's not their fault. I think, I think for me, just uh, I didn't see, like, an end goal or, like, a... I don't know. Maybe I didn't have the right motivation to to teach. So maybe that's that. It was from more from my side. I felt like just unproductive in general. You know. What do you mean by? Go on. I mean, like it's really hard to measure your results in teaching. I think sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, no matter how well I teach, I don't know how much I have impacted them really. And uh, even if I teach great. I don't really get much for the result, you know, like there's no reward for, you know, so it was a really, it was a job where I didn't have any push to, to do well, I guess, just, you know, I'm going to hit the standard and just do the job and okay, 
I, I think just the lack of passion makes it anything tough, right? Sure. So you weren't. It was. It was bad for you because you weren't passionate about teaching. I was disinterested. I was not passionate, and there was not enough incentives. So it was like a full circle of of things, right? For me, uh, but you know, they're they're kids, so you just try your best and just yeah. teach them. And, yeah, that's all. I mean, I think. For me, I've just kind of, you know, those teachers that focus too much on mm-hmm. on teaching outcomes, I feel like very quickly get jaded just because, oh. you know, it's very it's very difficult to make a huge impact on, on your students um, because, you know, you might be with them for one hour a week or two hours a week or even if it's more than that, like... Yeah. You know, there's so much more going on in their lives and whatnot that, mm. you know, you can't realistically, like, you know, you're not going to take one person and, like, take them from zero to fluent in English or, you know, take them from zero to being an expert in whatever subject just because it's unrealistic, right? So, yeah. Exactly. I feel like for me, it's been more about, like, you know, the more the most pleasurable part is just developing those personal relationships and you know, seeing people gain confidence rather than maybe like become super good at speaking English. Mm, mm, exactly. So yeah, yeah, just for me I think the lack of lack of passion and I just didn't feel like uh you know, I was accomplishing anything. You know, so it was a, a terrible job in that sense. And also, you know, it's all like, you know, you go in there, like you said, once a week. Is it really worth it? You know, are they going to learn anything? Is it good for them from their side? You know, so I guess what you're saying is true. What, what can they get from it? Maybe some confidence and maybe love love of learning. Maybe that's the top things they could gain. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think I think obvious often the case is it's just that you know often the parents are pushing them to do it so they're there because their parents have signed them up right and so that's that can be tricky to navigate as well yeah those korean kids they finish school 3 p.m hit the hagwon or the after school uh you know learning uh, academy uh at four then they stay from four to like <laughs> ten they take like multiple classes that they're like, whether it be math or science, English, and then they go home and sleep at, you know, and then go back to school and repeat. So their whole lives revolve around studying a lot of these South Korean kids, right? Yeah, that sounds pretty rough. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, if you tried to do that with an Amer- an American kid, you'd probably uh, be dealing with a tantrum every day, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely a different culture for that. So how about you? What was one of the tougher jobs you've done? Um, I think it was kind of a, in some ways it was a fun job, but it was a, it was a bit of a baptism of fire. It was the first teaching job that I had, um, teaching at a um, summer camp in Spain. So, you know, I got, I got a teaching certificate. I was, you know, spent a couple, few, few, a couple of weeks looking for a job, 
they offered mm. me a job teaching uh, in the south of Spain. Um, summer camp yeah. for uh, underprivileged kids run by the government. Um, so it was pretty, you know, it was it was good enough. Uh, the money wasn't very good and the hours were extremely long. But I think, you know, what made it tough was just I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, and so, you know, one of, the, one of the memories that I have of it is that I turned up you know, I got set, settled in, the kids weren't there yet. And then, you know, once the kids started arriving, um, yeah. the, uh, you know, the manager or whatever, the lead person was like, you go into the playground. So you go into the playground and as the kids arrive, I'll send them over to you. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay. So I didn't have any, I didn't have anything, Like, I didn't have any like balls or chalk or, you know, baseball bats or, you know, nothing. I had nothing. And, um, you know, every few minutes, another kid would arrive. And so uh, I was like, oh shit, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't, and I didn't know when it was going to end either. So I was just like, I hadn't prepared anything. I didn't have any materials. And I didn't know when this was going to end. So it was kind of like. What did they do? Just walk around the playground or did they just start playing or did they try to talk to you? What was um, we played a game. I've forgotten what, it, I mean, I know how it works, but I forgot. I don't know if that's a name. It's kind of like tag, but like you okay. like link, you run around and link arms with people and then. Anyway, you know, we played that for a good, like, 45 minutes or something. So I worked it out, but, you know, I just didn't. It was a very unpleasant experience. And then, you know, once I got going and started doing some teaching, I'd only just started, and I was was absolutely useless at teaching. And so most of the most of the quote unquote English classes that I was doing were just yeah. like kids drawing a picture, coloring, and then labeling it with the English words. So that was uh, I don't think they learned much English during their their time uh, summer two thousand. What the expectation was, though. Yeah, I mean, obviously they didn't they didn't care about learning English. They just uh, you know they got to go away for a couple of weeks and had. Uh, you know, had fun, did different activities, and it was something different from them. So, you know, obviously they didn't they didn't care about learning English, so um, okay. it was fine for them. But for me, it was a you know extremely stressful because I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know how to uh, handle groups of kids. So, mm, okay, okay. Do you like teaching kids or adults more now? Uh, I. I really don't like teaching kids just because of the added stress. <laughs> it's like, if I'm going to teach a kid, I'll be my own damn kid. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, I've done, I've been te- teaching kids on and off, you know, mostly I haven't, but I've done it over the years and it's fine. I enjoy it. It can be fun, but it's like, you have to be paying attention a hundred percent of the time. So, you know, if you're teaching all day and you have got to be paying attention all of the time, you know, that's, that's really draining over the course of a whole week of doing that. So, uh, 
um, you know, when you're teaching older, you know, even teenagers like 16 plus, right? Yeah. If you need to take 10 seconds to gather your thoughts or run to get a photocopy or whatever it might be, you can do that. Whereas with young kids, you just can't, you can't, you have to be on top of it all of the time for every single second of the day. So, yeah. So like you get that question, do you like kids? I'm like, depends on the kid. <laughs> I like it. So, I like working with kids. Uh, I like being around kids. Um, but I don't want to be teaching kids for 20 or 30 hours a week. Yeah. Which, which I had to do in Japan when I was uh, probably my second worst job is uh, teaching uh, Japanese public school kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like, you know, a classroom, 30 kids going through the book. I mean, they're okay, but some of them are, you know, some of them are troublemakers and some of them are like noisy as hell and like, you know. I thought all, of the, Jap- I thought all the Japanese kids had perfect behavior. <laughs> I mean, it's not their fault. You know, I know it, it depends on the kid, depends on how they're raised, depends on the parents, depends on their life factors. So yeah. you got to understand understand those things to an extent, but I'm pretty no-nonsense. So I, I don't think I had a good demeanor for teaching kids because I didn't take too much shit. So <laughs> they, they were probably looking for someone a bit more gentle, I guess. And those Japanese school teachers, they tend to be like, you know, all their life is about kids, you know? So they wake up like at 4 a.m. and (laughs) like go to the school and start getting ready. And they don't have any secretaries in Japanese uh, elementary school or any like uh, other administrative staff, I should say. So they they have to do all that paperwork. So they go for like, wake up at 4 a.m., arrive at 5 a.m. and go home like at 8 p.m. It's like, what? Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty terrible. What yeah, about? but the, the the whole thing how they get guilted is like you like kids, like oh yeah, we love kids. Kids are my life. Like they have that mentality, right? I don't know. I haven't met any Japanese. Eh, no, that's not true. I I I do know one Japanese uh, elementary school teacher. Yeah, she's very dedicated to her kids. So. Yeah. I think that's the difference between Amer- American uh, elementary or or just American schooling and Japanese schooling is the Japanese school teacher is like a second parent or like th- the duties go beyond. But I think uh, a lot of, not all, but maybe a lot of uh, public school teachers in the States, man, once they have bell rings, okay, maybe they'll be there for like an hour kind of, but basically they're done, right? Eh, that's not what I hear about the uh, public school system in California, but... And I'm no expert yeah. on that. I, I mean, there's a separation though between being a teacher and being like, uh, you know, they're they're not like being like a second parent, right? Like in Japan, if you get like a, a kid, like a high school kid gets arrested, his teacher will be the one that goes to the police station. Even on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, like they're really like acting like second parents in a lot of ways. Yeah, okay. That's, I guess that's just a different. Doesn't it doesn't sound like you're cut out for that. No, definitely. I was not enjoying teaching there. And those people are really conservative too, like Japanese school teachers in general. Like, 
mm. you know, they're not down to get a drink after work or something like that. So it was quite, yeah, it was a mismatch. So what about what about what about your best job then? What if, have you found have you found your niche yet? Or? A best job? I mean, I like what I'm doing now. Uh, it's uh, it's not boring. It's definitely exciting. It's stressful. Uh, it's busy, but uh, you you get to meet a lot of people. You get to. I like closing deals. I like selling. I like uh, negotiating. Yeah, it's definitely a exciting job. So I like what I'm doing now. I think I'm, I think I mentioned I'm well suited for it. So uh, keep going along this uh, recruitment sales type of career path for now. I'm learning more and more about IT too in it. So that that's a good point. What about the um, what about the hours though? You've turned into a salary man. I, I don't know. I mean, I go to work at nine and I leave around seven every day. Is that so bad? Do you think? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. Okay. I mean, yeah, they're kind of long, but I don't know. If I got home at five, what would I do? Just go home and like start playing games, I guess, or watch Netflix. Like, I don't know. I mean, but the better you get at your job, the the more time you have, right? So probably I can even decrease it more into the future. Yeah, that makes sense. So is that what you're gonna yeah. you're gonna keep doing that into the future? Then you want to be a, a recruiter for the next twenty years, thirty years? Uh, if I move up the chain, I don't mind it because then you just start managing people in your team, I guess, and you focus less on your own recruitment, but rather focus on managing your the recruiters. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a lucrative business if you go up the chain, right? I don't know. I imagine that uh, I imagine that the rewards get bigger. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely see myself doing some kind of uh, sales or you know business uh, development because I do business development as part of my job to get new contracts. So yeah. I could see myself doing sales, business development, uh, involved in HR in some way for the next twenty years. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I could definitely see that. How about you? What's your what's your best job? Um, I like my current job too, but I think the one that I can more consistently enjoyed was um, job that I had when I was working in Oakland. Um, so you were in the inner city. Well, I worked in Chinatown, Oakland, so yeah, inner city. Um, yeah. For I was over there four years working at a private English school. Um, and you know, I just turn up to turn up to work every day and I'm not going to say I was so excited to go to work every day, but I enjoyed being at work every day, enjoyed having interaction yeah. with a lot of different people. Um, yeah. you know, I met a number of people who are still close friends, uh, right now, you know, that's, you know, Daniel, for example, who was on, who was on the podcast, uh, previously, that's how I met him. He wasn't one of my students, but he was, uh, uh, he was uh, one of my students' boyfriends, so that's how I met him. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it was just a it was just a pleasant environment to be in. A lot of good interactions. Um, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I think you know sometimes what can really kill a teaching job is if there's too much pressure. You know, oh, you got to get you got to get good exam results. You got to get 
you know, you've got to move your students to the next level. You've got to do this, all that sort of stuff. But for me, there wasn't any any of that kind of pressure in that job. So, you know, as long as my student evaluations were pretty good and nobody was complaining, then uh, everything went pretty smoothly. I think that's the difference between you and I is I have a tough time working well if I don't have targets or results or pressure. Yeah. Like I think I need that in a way. Like I need to track how I'm doing and where I'm, what I'm doing well, and uh, I need to like get tracked and tr- also put that in like that those numbers in my, in my, you know, for me to reach or not reach. Like uh, if yeah. I just someone tells me go do this job. And uh, there's not that pressure. I feel like it's, I feel aimless in a way. I don't know. Maybe it's just me that needs it. But you're like the opposite. um, You're totally opposite as me then. uh, I wouldn't say so. I'd say without that pressure, like the pro, my progress is going to be a bit slow, right? I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be progressing very quickly if there's that pressure isn't there. So that's one part of it. But also, I think, you know, just intuitively, I know when I'm doing well and when I'm not doing well. And so, yeah. you know, that kind of pushes me to do well on a day-to-day basis. I, I mean, you know, too, after you finish the class, you know, where, yeah. you know intuitively whether it went well or whether it didn't go well. Or, you know, even now when you're, when, when you're in a completely different job, you know it when you think back on the day, you know, oh, that day went well or that day didn't go well, right? Like you just know. Um, sure, sure. So I think, you know, for me, I just did most of the time intuitively know whether things went well or didn't go well. And then it's just a question of kind of being honest about why that was. And then hopefully the next day, you know, you do a little bit better than the previous day. So with teaching, if you teach well, the reward is keeping your job, <laughs> basically. Or uh, I guess there's some promotions down the line right but those usually take those usually take a while though so are you like for me i guess the frustration with, with teaching would be like even if i teach a good class like i don't get like the the notice doesn't come right away or you know that kind of thing i only get i only hear from people if i don't teach well kind of i only hear the complaints i think for me mm-hmm. that was the big thing about teaching that was kind of frustrating is like for every nine good classes that I taught, I'd hear about one complaint in the tent. And it'd be like, all right, yeah. well, do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I think there is a, there's just that expectation that, oh, it was good? Okay, that's how it should have been. So, you know, we don't, don't need to say anything if it was good. But, yeah, obviously if it was bad, then complaint. Um I think for me, I mean, I'm not maybe, – maybe you're a little bit more driven by results or by – salary or whatever but for me you know like i said i know whether i know i know intuitively whether i'm doing a good job or not and that's the sound that's enough satisfaction for me mm. okay okay so do you, you see yourself keep going down this road then of teaching for a while um well i mean the big problem and you just alluded to it is that there's not really any career progression right so you're a teacher, then you're a teacher, and then you're a teacher, right? Like this, there isn't really anywhere to go from there. So, you know, that's why the last few years I've been do, working, you know, moving towards doing more curriculum development 
and you know a lot of my current job is doing curriculum development and then it's probably about 50 50 doing curriculum development and doing uh doing teaching so it's a good that's a good mm. balance for me and you know that opens more doors in terms of future career possibilities so okay yeah because we talked and you mentioned you're thinking about getting into instructional design and maybe uh into the future we, I mean, I've already done some work doing instructional design, right? So, um, and you know, part of what I'm doing right now is instructional design. Um, so, yeah. But I did, I've done that. I've done in the past. I've had jobs where I'm doing that 100, percent and I don't really enjoy that either because I don't want to be in front of a computer for 40 hours a week. That's not fun. So, you want to get into the corporate side then? Get away from you know, the students and get more into the corporate side of things. No, I, I don't want to get away from the students. I feel like I want, there's a good balance for me between being in the classroom sometimes and then being on the computer other times. I don't want to do, I don't want to do a hundred percent of each, like doing 30, 35 hours of contact of teaching time per week is absolutely exhausting. And, you know, working on a computer 40 hours a week for me is, is exhausting too. So, you know, I've got a good, I have a good balance at the moment. And, uh, but at what point, at what point, if you're teaching like in the corporate setting, do they, are they really students or are they becoming like uh, externally clients and internally like, you know, do they consider themselves your students? I think the, the dynamics of the relationship will change though, right? Yeah, I mean, in in a certain sense, they're students, right? Because they're in the classroom to to learn something. But but yeah, I mean, it's more like a client relationship, whether that's an internal client or an external client. It's more about there's a completely different dynamic that you've got to manage there. Mm, okay, but definitely, you're you're okay. Then you're going down this road. You might make the switch to corporate corporate type of deal one day, and. Uh... You're happy with what you're doing. You don't want to get into history, is I guess is what I'm asking. Because you know that's been your 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 studies, your PhD, your you know your everything. Yeah, I mean that's still an option, and I'm going to be I'm going to be um, you know looking at the job market once I finish my PhD to see what's possible. And so there might be a switch there. Um, okay. But you know, one of the big options there would be teaching. So. I mean, it's not it's not like a huge career shift or anything like that. Um, so just have to see. I mean, as you know, the job market there is pretty tough. So, so yeah. if I can, if I can, then sure, I'll make the switch. And if I can't, then uh, take it. Would that be your top choice? To be a history teacher, basically? Not a history teacher. No, I don't want to work in a high school. Okay, I mean, to be a professor then. Yeah, I mean that that would be that would that's probably be my top choice if I can make that happen. But okay, who knows? We'll have to see what's what's going on. Okay, okay, yeah. It seems like you've set your expectation really uh, low about achieving that dream, even though it's your top choice. Well, I mean, it's just you know I'm not going to go into all the details about 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 it but yeah. the, the job market is extremely tough right there are fewer and fewer job openings and more and more phd graduates so yeah uh, 
you know, I don't want to set, I don't want to set myself up with this idea. Like, and I know, I know a lot of PhD students do, and I know some that have like, I'm working so hard. I'm dedicating myself to this and they go through years of doing that and then they get to the end and then, you know, they're working in a grocery store part-time or they're working as a barista or something because, yeah, you know, they can't make that happen. So if I can make it happen, great. But, uh, you know, I don't want to set myself up for failure in that way. So, Mm-mm-mm. so you definitely uh, have built a career aside from that as a, as another path in preparation. Well, yeah, that's why I said I do like I was pursue the PhD, but I can't, I can't, I can't put all my eggs in one basket. So I have to pursue another career in the meantime. And if eventually diversifying, can, yeah, you could call it like, like a man who buys Bitcoin on the side, diversified his assets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I bought, I bought some coin like a year ago. It went up a lot. Oh, did you? But it was like a half a Ethereum. Oh, okay. Well, you made a you made a few hundred dollars on that, then, so it's not too bad. It went, it went from like three hundred bucks to like uh, since it's half, probably like a thousand five hundred or well, yeah, something like that, almost two thousand. Like yeah, I, I I mean I had to, I bought some too, but uh, well, how much did I, you buy? I had uh, some Bitcoin, some Ethereum, some Litecoin. Um, oh wow! But I, I, I sold it all before the current uh, explosion in price, unfortunately. So I made a de- I made a decent amount of money, but it, you know, if I'd waited, it would have been a, a lot more. So can't complain too much, but uh, you know, we Robin. Robin selling his crypto. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, who knows? It's so unpredictable. Like uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen with it? So. Made a decent gain, sold, and you know. Okay. Know. Who knows? Would you, ever buy, would you ever buy again? Get off topic not, here. Not right. Ever... Not right now. No. I mean, perhaps in the future, but um, yeah. it doesn't seem like uh, I can't really make much sense of any of the arguments around cryptocurrency. So it's yeah. i i feel i don't feel like i can buy any with any confidence as to what the what the future might bring so you know okay. it could it could be it could be it could double in the next 2 months or it could lose 90% of its value in the next 2 months and i feel like there is really absolutely no way of knowing which way it's going to go so that makes the me man better. who had the lottery ticket and gave it away well, it wasn't that much. I mean, but I mean, it was, it was a, was it I a mean, full coin? Huh? Was it a full Bitcoin? No, no, it wasn't. But I mean, if I'd waited, it probably would have been. Yeah. Uh, more than, t- more than $10,000. So. Okay. Okay. Um, so, but I mean, it, it's easy to say that, right? But. You know, it's, it wasn't it wasn't a sure thing, right? I mean, Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, it could, as I said, you know, it could have gone from where I bought it, and it could have lost fifty percent of its value. You know, yeah. 
you know, it's easy to say, oh, I should have kept it. And obviously I, sh- I should have, but, you know, looking from that point when I sold it, looking forward, it w- there wasn't any certainty whatsoever. So, so yeah. Goes. yeah. So in conclusion for, for this podcast, uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You got yeah. a PhD. Hold your Bitcoin. Don't don't sell. <laughs> Hold your Bitcoin. Hold all your Bitcoin. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, don't don't go to Korea to teach English. <laughs> Some uh, diverse conclusions from today's episode. It was a really gold, valuable advice. Uh, do, you, do you have any other investment tips for uh, the audience, Robin? Any anything else? Words of wisdom. Uh, I, I hesitate to offer financial advice, but yeah, I mean, just with anything like uh, keep your options open, I think, and that goes for jobs or investments. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? I'll say this last thing on, on investments. Uh, about six months ago, I told my, my buddy, you should invest in DraftKings or FanDuel when they're going public, yeah. and that's really jumped up. It's jumped up a lot, so... I think investing in gambling pa- platforms could be a, a good going. I think gambling is going to become so mainstream in the future. Like p- every person's going to have it on their, on their smartphone, like a little application. And they're just, you know, you know how people are like with Uber. Once you get Uber on your, on your smartphone, you start ordering food, even though it's, you know, you're losing money. Right. People are really into that instant gratification. Right. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I mean, uh, I've been. I would be hesitant to invest in DraftKings, but uh, if, you, yeah. if you if if your tip paid off, then congratulations. <laughs> A tip I should have taken myself. Mm. All right. Well, on that note, thank you very much for listening. And if you've got any uh, questions, comments, or investment tips, then send them over to uh, permanentlyres at gmail dot com. That's uh, R E S, and. Uh, I look yeah. forward to uh, recording. <laughs> what was that? You lose all your money on Bitcoin. Blame Robin. Send an angry email to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. and uh, See you next time. All right. Goodbye.